Church, this is going to be a, a good morning this morning. We're all here. We're all alive. That's a pretty good start, don't you say? I think in this place today, that if you are opened up, you've opened up your heart and your mind, say, God, speak to me. Show me who you are. Show me who I am in you. It's in that posture in this place that God is going to move in us this morning. So I'd like us just to take a, a few moments here, just of, just of silence, just close your eyes and just with your hands, just hold them out in front of you and say, God, here's my life, here's my day, here's everything I'm worried about, the stress of whatever's going on in my life, the things I'm anxious about. God, not in this place. We declare not in this place, not right here, not right now, not even moving forward. Here it is. You're a powerful God, creator of everything. So God, I give you all my concerns, worries, doubts, burdens, fears, stresses. God, here in my hand, please take them. I pray that in this place you show us how powerful you are, how much you love us. God, thank you for our life today. God, I pray for us this morning as we gather that you will show us who you are in your word. Your Bible will jump out. It'll transform our mind. It'll transform our heart. And it'll be powerful. May it be you moving in us. And we invite you here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Thank you for leading us in worship. Hey. We're, we're excited to be here today. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we are going through the book of Luke. There's, there's Bibles over on each lamp, and so you can go grab one of those, or you can just raise your hand, and, and we'll bring a Bible to you. Uh, it looks like a good handful of us weathered the snow this morning, weathered the ice this morning, came here. It's kind of, that's what you have to do if you're in Colorado, right? You just have to kind of power through and go for it. Even if it's a little crazy, we still do it, right? So even right now, a church project, uh, our, our Southlands campus in, in, uh, in Denver, they had to cancel because they got a lot of snow and a lot of ice. And our Cincinnati, I feel bad about our Cincinnati campus because this is like their second, maybe third gathering, and they had to cancel today because all the snow and ice that they got. And so, but not Greeley, right? Not Greeley. <laughs> so congratulations that you weathered it today and, and that you've come out here. Um, my prayer is, is even this last song for us, is that we would lay down our burdens, that we would come just as we are today. It's okay. Everything that's going on in our life, who we are, it's okay. We're here today. Everything that is compiled, all our emotions, all our experiences, everything about who we are is sitting in this chair here today, and God has brought us here today. But some of us, we walk around with a lot of guilt. We walk around with a lot of shame. We walk around, we walk around a little confused about who we are, where we're going in life. And this passage that we're going to be looking at today is such a beautiful, beautiful promise. And it's going to speak to every single one of us. 
See, we've been going through the book of Luke, and what we're doing right now is we're in Luke chapter 23, verse 32 specifically. So you can open up to Luke chapter 23, verse 32. And we've been walking up, and and we've been going through Luke for almost two years now, and it's been leading up to this point where Jesus is now, he's walked into Jerusalem. He's marched triumphantly into Jerusalem. He He has been abandoned. He has been criticized. He has been found guilty, even though he was not guilty. And, and the rulers of the land said, not here, not right now in this place. Can you lead us? And so we're going to take you. We're going to take you to Calvary. We're going to take you to the hill, and we're going to crucify you. And so what we've been doing is we've been walking through Luke, and we find ourselves right now where Jesus is literally marching up, and he is at Calvary. He's about to be crucified. And so I'm going to read these, these verses for us. And then let's see what God has in his word. So Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, with Jesus. Verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were, they, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, look at, this is Jesus saying, look at this. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Church, let's not go over that fast. What's happening? He's being crucified, he's being tortured, he's bloody, he's been spat upon, and he's looking at people, and what does he say? Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. In verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. This is what we're looking at today. And what we're going to look at the next seven weeks as we begin to move into Easter is we're going to look at and we're going to hit pause on the sayings that Jesus says on the cross, what he says when he's on the cross. Two of these will come out of Luke. uh, The others will come out of the other synoptic gospels. But Jesus, when he says these powerful things as he hangs on the cross, we're going to look at these. And this week, what we're looking at is, Father, forgive them for for they know not what they do. If you look at verse 33, we're talking about the crucifixion. The crucifixion was a common form of capital punishment in the 6th century B.C. until Constantine banned it in 337. This was a common form of punishment. And Jesus is being punished in this by crucifixion. This is not uncommon. This is what happened. And Constantine in 337 abolished that and banned that. But as we look at crucifixion, as we look at verse 33, um, we come, or actually verse, yeah, verse 33, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, the word for skull in Greek is kraonia. In Aramaic, Golgotha, in Latin, Calvary. 
And why do, why do we say this? Because I, I want to I paint a picture of what Luke is doing here. Luke, when he writes this, he's writing in excellent Greek form. Why is he doing this? Well, we've looked at Luke a little bit. We've studied about Luke a little bit. Luke is a doctor, so he's kind of smart. He's an author, so he's very articulate in what he's doing. He's crossing every T. He's dotting every I. And why is he doing this? He's writing to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and to show them the humanity of Jesus and to point to Jesus as the perfect Savior. And that's important to know as we're looking at this context that Luke is writing to Gentiles to show them the humanity of Jesus. And as Jesus, this man right here, he is the Savior. See, what we think about Jesus directs how we live our lives. Our theology about about who Jesus is, our, our Christology about who Jesus is drives us to move and respond every day, day in and day out. Who we think Christ is drives our lives. For example, if you think God is an an angry God that's just going to smite you at any moment, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to live this Christian life in a freedom just like, yeah, this is awesome? Or are you walking through and just trying to obey every law and do everything because you think God, almighty God, is going to come down and smite you at any moment? Just wipe you out. So what we think about God drives how we live our life. If we think that God is a loving God, a serving God, and a restoring God, there's so much freedom in that. We can walk around being confident in who God is and who he's created us to be. And I know it's a terrible, terrible illustration, but I just couldn't get it out of my mind. So we're going to go there, okay? Any of you seen Goonies? You got to be a little old to see Goonies. I watched it recently. I'm like, this is a bad show. Anyways, <laughs> so I'm watching, I'm watching Goonies. And, and, and who's, who's that guy they called Sloth? Does anybody know? The big monster guy? Sloth, right? But when I watched Goonies for the very first time, he scared me to death. Chained up sloth guy, if you've ever seen it. Like, it's one of those where you see him and you think, okay, this guy could possibly kill me. Like, he's an animal. He's chained up. He's, he's ugly looking. He's mean. He's all this. And that's, that's what they thought of sloth. Until, who's the main guy? Does anybody know? There you go. Huh? Chunk comes and, and shows him love, builds a relationship. Pretty soon this guy is just one of the guys they're walking around like, this is great, right? But what they perceived sloth to be first ends up to be completely different, becomes a huge ally. What we perceive, who we, who we think Jesus is, I told you it was a bad illustration, It drives our actions, how we live, our relationships. It drives all of it. This is a big, big deal. I mean, it's easy to say this, but this is a really, really, really big deal. What you think about Jesus and how he loves you and how he sacrificed for you. Was he human in flesh, God Almighty, coming to earth to save us, to redeem us, to restore us? Or is he just a guy that came to destroy us? How we think of Jesus drives us. Some of us, we may need to sit with Scripture this week. 
Like, pour over Scripture. Some of us may need to just get lost in the Psalms a little bit this week. Some of us may need to take some time away to talk with God, to talk with others, to find out who he is. Because when I look at, especially on the cross, as we're going through these seven, seven things that Jesus says, when I look at this, or when I open up the scripture, I see a God and I see Jesus as his heart is so full of love and so full of passion and compassion. And some of us, Satan has come in and confused us a little bit, distracted us a little bit, and we begin to think of God as this, this, you know, that over there that we have to perform to match up to, and he might smite us, but all along, God is saying, I absolutely love you, I adore you. Some of us, guilt, our personal guilt has caused us to think of God over here. Fear, we put God over here. Well, I hope and my prayer is that as you sit with God this week, even in this place, that he'll begin to show you how beautiful he is, how much he loves you. I'm full of terrible stories today. I'm sorry. This one I had to pull up because I went to the the high school uh, uh, state championship last night in Denver. I wrestled for a lot of years, and it was just so much fun sitting there and watching these, these guys wrestle and a lady wrestle. And as I'm at this tournament, I'm thinking back, getting all nostalgic, you know, like, man, I could throw the football over the mountain, right, you know? You know what I'm saying? If not, don't worry about it. But I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm seeing, I saw my old coach. I haven't seen him for a long time. I saw that guy that, that I broke his arm in one match. Oops, sorry. I saw him there. Like, I, I saw, I, I just know a lot of people in the wrestling world. And I was, I, was, I was sitting there, I was sitting there thinking how much God loves me and how much God has directed my life growing up in Ordway, Colorado. Anyone know where that's at? Crowley County, okay? Some of us are from there. Growing up there, I, I think back, and I can think back of little freshman Aaron. Man, he was awesome. He had a lot of energy. He was really skinny. Uh, he had to eat to make weight. But a little freshman Aaron had wrestled for a lot of years. And along came this, this guy, Sean Brewer. Sean Brewer was that rough guy. You know, I was, I was the good old Christian Baptist boy. You know, Sean Brewer was not a Baptist boy. I'll just say that, okay? But he was the older guy. I think he was either, I think he was a junior my freshman year. And Sean Brewer was that guy that you just don't mess with. Like you, don't, you don't mess with him, the tough guy. And I remember as a freshman coming in and Sean Brewer, for some reason, looking at me and going, I like you. And took me under his wing, trained me, showed me all his moves. Yeah, I made varsity in, in my freshman year. That's not a big deal in Ordway, by the way. Because <laughs> you showed up and made weight. Varsity, all right. But I have, Sean, I have Sean Brewer in my life, and Sean Brewer protected me. Can you believe Sean Brewer protected me? I remember one time, and plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. I'm sorry. But I even remember one time on the bus coming back from, from, a, uh, from a wrestling tournament, and a pornographic magazine was being p- tossed down, down the bus, you know, from seat to seat to seat. And it came to my seat. I didn't even know what it was. It came to my seat, and Sean Brewer was sitting behind me, and he literally reached over me and grabbed it and said, Aaron, you don't need to see this stuff. See, God has moved in my life. He has a purpose for my life. He loves me. And he's guiding every single one of us in this room. But some of us, because life has gotten so hard, 
We look at him and we, see, and we go, there's God over here and I don't fully understand who he is. My reality was formed by God's love for me. And sometimes God used Sean Brewer to do that. Now that's a good picture, but I can also tell you ugly pictures and I can tell you painful, hard things that I've experienced and I do experience and I go through every single day. And Satan wants to take every opportunity he can to skew our mind, to twist the reality, to make you think of God as some God who's going to come down and smite you. But as we look at this passage and we look at verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them. This is a compassionate, loving God. And and who's Jesus talking to as he addresses his father? God, forgive them. Who's he talking to? Who should the father forgive? And that's a question you may be thinking as you look at this passage. Who should the father forgive? Well, Jesus is speaking. He's saying, Father, please forgive the Jewish authorities that have have put me here. Uh, Forgive the Jewish nation at large. Forgive the Roman soldiers. Father, forgive them. And Jesus' prayer It's a beautiful prayer. These people do not deserve to be forgiven. And for no reason, Jesus has love and compassion on them and says, Father, please forgive them. Not because they deserve it, but because I, Jesus, have asked my Father, would you please forgive them? This is huge. This has huge implications on us, church. And I'm going to say this with as much passion as I can say it. And I hope that if you don't get anything today, you get this right here. Jesus loved them for who they were. Not for what they were doing. Not for what they had done. What they would do. He loved them for who they were. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and show this same love and compassion to everyone around us. Jesus did this willingly for us to show us how much he loves us. Jesus is putting his money where his mouth is. He's making this thing real again and again and again. He's forgiving people who do not deserve to be forgiven. It's this wonderful word word called grace, and he's speaking life into them. He says, Father, forgive them. They, and, for, and then it moves on and says, for they know not what they do. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Believe you, believe you me, believe me you, whatever you're supposed to say right there. If they would have known who they were crucifying, everything would have stopped and halted at that moment. They did not know. So in this room, congratulations, we're very American. That's the obvious, right? We're, we're, we're very American, and it was, I was in a conversation this week with a group of people as we were talking about what, what is God's will for your life. And I realized how American I was, because in this group of, of men that were discussing, how, how do you know what God's will is for your life? Any of you ever think about that? Any of you ever, does that ever drive you guys? Does that ever make you worried? 
It make you a little anxious. How do I know I'm doing God's will for my life? As we were sitting there and we were talking about what is God's will for your life, there was one individual that was not from America. And it was quite alarming how much I realized we're American because as we started talking about this, this, this man that was in this room, not from America, was so confused that the very first thing that we Americans went to when we talked about how do you know what God's will for your life is, is we immediately jumped to what do we do? I mean, you know, you, you know it, right? The first thing you find out about someone when you, when you first meet them, hi, I'm Aaron Havens, what do you do? Welcome to America. What do you do? Performance. Prove yourself. I want, I want to just find out where I'm at in the status here. Like, what, what level am I right here? Are, are you worthy of my time? Like, the first thing we do is we find out what people do. And this gentleman, that was, we were in this conversation, he was really confused because this is, must be an American thing. Because he goes, I, that's so foreign to me that the first thing you think of in God's will is, is what do you do? Because the, the, the country I'm from, it's about who you are and how this, this, this individual contributes to the community at large. And then maybe somewhere down the line, it's going to find out too, oh yeah, what do I do? But it's so foreign to us. It's more about who we are and who we are as a people that's moving together. And I sat there convicted again because I continually put my status, my identity, my self-worth in what I do and not who I am. And more importantly, whose I am. See, as we as Americans put our identity in what we do, it produces a lot of angst in us. It produces a lot of pressure in us. It becomes an identity about doing. So if we did great today, we're rock stars. But if it wasn't such a good day, and we didn't accomplish our checklist, and we didn't do it exactly the way that we thought, we're depressed. Up and down, angst and fear and performance, and God is over here, worried more about what we do than who we are. What's God's will for your life? What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, those words can be so scary and those questions can be so scary if our first thought is, what do we do? It should be found in who we are. It should be based on who we are, being a part of the community of Christ and who he is, being a part of his church, being on mission, being in love with who he is. We find our identity in him. It's beautiful. So continue looking down right here. What do they do? They cast lots in verse 34. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And immediately, what do they do? They begin to cast lots and divide his garments. This is just to fulfill prophecy. And you can look at the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 12, or even Psalms twenty two eighteen. It's fulfilling prophecy right now. They're, they're casting lots. They're dividing up his garments. Then it moves down to verse 35. And the people stood by. Notice that. The people stood by. And what are they doing? They're watching. The people stood by and uh, watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, If he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. It's amazing that this crowd right here that are standing by, they're dazed. They're just watching right now. Just moments earlier was the crowd that said, Crucify him, crucify him, full of passion. And now they're just in neutral zone. Just watching. Just spectating. And we get into verse 35. 
continue on. Notice that one little word right there, if. Did you see that? Did you catch that word? If. Complete mockery. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And then it continues in verse 37 again with another if. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Complete mockery. And we get down to verse 38. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. I want to point out something about these five verses right here. And this would be great to do a Bible study on and really think on and pray over in these five verses. These five verses, just verses 35 to 39, one more verse past this, we will see Jesus is referred to as the Christ of God, the chosen one. He's referred to the king of the Jews twice and the Christ in five verses. These are the titles. This is who he's referred to in just these verses. And and then if you look at it as well, the saving nature of Jesus, Jesus' ministry, the saving nature of Jesus' ministry is referred to four times just in these five verses right here. And twice in verse 35 and in verse 37 and 39. Can, Can you see it right here? Jesus is what he is being guilty of the title that they put above his head and what they're saying right here, what they're saying is his crime, why they're crucifying the title that's put above his head was actually the truth. They're saying if and they're mocking, but they don't know and they're mocking that they're actually mocking the very truth and what they're condemning him for and saying against is actually the truth of who Jesus is. Have you looked through these titles of Jesus' name? Have you studied these? Are these becoming true in your life? Who is Jesus to you? And do we stand by as the crowd and just watch as Jesus is getting crucified and as Jesus is looking on humanity, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and his heart is exposed and we see how much Jesus loves us even though we don't deserve it. Church, I want to stop right here. I want to stop here on purpose because it's easy to be American and to find our identity in what we do instead of who we are. It's easy to be American and come to church and get a bunch of intellectual knowledge, isn't it? Well, I can't give you too much intellectual knowledge, but I'll work. I'll try my best. It's easy, though, and, and, and we try to do this, and, and it's awesome. It's great to know theology, and it's great to know God, but I want to ask us this very personal question right now. Are you alive in your relationship with Jesus Christ? with God Almighty? Are you moving in a relationship that you know that he loves you and he's moving in your life? And as you think about the future and as you think about your days right now, are you living in angst or are you living in complete freedom knowing that God has loved and forgiven you? I want to be a church and we want to be a church that moves together on purpose, in love with God, finding our identity in who he is, and not by the action of our hands. So let's end really awkward today. I'm going to ask Jeremy if you guys would come up and begin to lead us in some more worship. This is how I want to lead awkward. I want us to spend some time in prayer.
I can think of a couple things that need some uh, attention. But there's multiple things in our lives that may need attention. Times that we can sit and pray together. But I'm going to ask us, just in, in this place, corporately, I'm going to present two things for us just to, just to pray over and pray for. We're going to be a church that moves together and seeks God's face and is driven by Him and His action. And we want to be a church that approaches God and, and God you know, just loves us completely. Like our Father, we approach Him. And so church in this place, whether you know this person or not, Rachel Perman um, is, is not with us right now, fighting cancer. Church, let's battle on her behalf. Whether you know Rachel or not, it's a great time. Just pray on her behalf. Pray for her strength. Pray that God would show her how much he loves her. God, as your church, we come before you just on behalf of, of Rachel today. We ask you to move in her, in her body. God, you're the healer. You can heal. So we pray right now that you would move your healing hand across her entire body. That God, any impurity in her system would be gone. That her body would operate the way that you designed it to operate. That God, she would feel your love. She would feel your healing. And then God, sitting in that bed right now, that she would also find her identity and who she is. Not in her ability to do, or even in this stage, to not do. But she'd be completely content being a daughter of a king. So we ask for her healing in your name. And we ask even more powerful that the nurses and doctors and the people that she's come in contact with will come to know your love. That you would use this thing called cancer to pluck people from the grips of sin and death, to instill hope and joy in them, that your name would be known through Rachel Perman and cancer. We ask for her strength today. It's in your name. And then church, for us, just as a church body, here's another thing that we can pray for. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been moving towards eldership, a plurality, a true plurality of leadership. 
not driven by just one individual, but a group of men that are called. In church, tomorrow we enter into a huge phase of this, one of the final steps in this. And to be quite honest with you, Satan's not happy with us, and he's trying to attack every single one of us. Because it's easy to take out a church when all you have to do is take out one frail human. But when there's a group of men and a group of families that are leading in plurality, that scares Satan. So God, I want to pray over that church. Would you pray over that with me and just join with me in prayer? God, we ask for a church project at large that as we move into the plurality of leadership and we move into elders, that God, you would put the people in place that you've called to be in place and that Satan would have no way in our lives. That God, we would be a church founded on you. We would be confident in who you are. God, we would surrender control of Church Project to you 100% to do anything and everything that you want to do with us, to be driven by you, not built by our hands, but built by your hands, a church that is from you and for you. So God, I pray if there's any pride in, in any of the men that are going into it, that you would remove that. If there's any conflict, you would solve that, resolve that. And we would move together in complete joy, knowing that, God, you've instilled who you want to be in, in eldership here. Thank you for that beautiful picture. Okay, church, it's time to get selfish. What's God speaking to you? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What's he speaking to you in this place? I don't, I don't know how you came in here. Maybe you came in here for the first time ever in church. And I hope what compels you this morning is that you feel love in here. You feel that Jesus is, is, is something that is very intriguing to you and you want to run after him. You want to know more about him. So if that's you in this place, just, just say, God, I want to know more of who you are. Others of us in this room, we say we, maybe we've been Christians for a very, very long time. But we've fallen into the Americanized system of finding our identity and what we do instead of who we are. God, break our heart for who you are and who we are in you. And some of us, these very words, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, are the words we needed to hear this morning. Because again, we did that thing that we said we wouldn't do, and we did it again. And again, we're being driven by guilt and shame instead of freedom and grace. So God, if you bring to mind anything right now that we're living in our lives that are just not in line with how your perfect and best life for us is, I pray that you would bring that to mind, and that as a church, we would put that in your hand and ask forgiveness for these things. We'd repent and turn and say, God, we want to be more in line with who you are. And that's only found by our identity being in who you are. So God, as followers of you, daughters, sons of a king, may we smile knowing that we're your sons and daughters. Walk in this love relationship with you. 
Now, church, I don't know what God is going to show you and teach you in this place and how he's going to heal you and love you in this place, but I'm going to ask us to move together just in worship. So when, we're in, we're, when we get a picture of who God is and how powerful and how loving he is, it causes me to just go, God, I love you and I want to worship you. So this morning, there's multiple ways we can worship God. There's communion on your back right. And that is taking a piece of cracker and dipping it in the grape juice. And the cracker and the, it represents the body and the grape juice represents the blood that was broken and spilled on our behalf. As he hung on the cross and said, forgive humanity, they know not what they do. And he showed the ultimate love. We take communion to remember that, to celebrate that, to take pause in our life with that. Maybe you'll worship God through your tithes and offerings on on either table on the right and left. Maybe you'll worship God by going and retrieving your child and, and coming back and worshiping as a family together. Maybe you'll worship God by writing prayer requests down on the response cards or just journaling in your chair. Maybe you'll uh, worship God by standing and singing these praise songs. But church, I, and I just know this, that when we find our identity and who we are and not what we do, and we, and we see the beautiful picture of a saving, loving king that says forgive them. It causes us to worship and say, God, it's about you, not about us. Thank you for loving us. God, please accept this worship. Thank you for bringing us here today. In your name we pray. Amen.